The Rainbow Door is a free, culturally safe, specialist helpline for all LGBTIQA Victorians. The helpline provides information, support and referral from experienced peer workers on issues including mental health, family violence, relationships, suicide prevention and sexual assault. For information, support and referral, call the Rainbow Door on 1-800-729-367. That's 1-800-729-367, 10am to 6pm every day. Switchboard is a 3CR supporter. Bring me shelter, I will not harm you, I would shelter you. People would do anything for their families. It could happen to anyone anytime. Somebody in France, somebody in England basically sat down with a ruler and just drew lines on maps. There are many different ethnic and religious groups that have been divided across borders and this has caused a significant amount of conflict. There are a lot of people who need safety. It is really cruel for a country like Australia to have policies that are focused only on pushing people away. What we're seeing is a number of people that remain in a state of limbo. And when non-sustainable land use combined with climate change, the crisis of refugees. I wasn't able to go and play with children. I had to go and really be an adult from a very young age. I think that's something that a lot of migrant children can relate to. Really, it was a dream for me to reunite with my family. I was just praying and hoping that that day will come one day. And I think it's very important for people to understand that people have their own dreams as well and they're wanting to change the world with everybody else. my homeland like unwanted kids. I came here because my country couldn't win at the civil war, but the broken root of my country still cares for me. Due to the civil war, I got out in a refugee camp where I stayed and it was not safe. Severed human limbs on the ground, blood like rivers all around me. My feet take in gold. At night I couldn't sleep. Daytime I couldn't sleep. But here in this country is where I will grow strong. One day I, I remember my elders used to tell me that education was the way. Education was the way to give us human answers. The earth is full and green. My life is clear here and my spirit is strengthened. Poetry is a food for my soul.
is very bad. I hear screaming within a silent night. The one that you hear but you can't see. The one that you know it's a human voice but you can't utter their pain. I can't stop screaming for you before and life was not that much good for us. Uh, it sounds that family first forced marriage um, was abuse, abuse against women and lack of education. They're still screaming. It sounds like at home on a summer night their world is dark and everyone around them pretend to be blind or deaf from the reality. So my parents just decided to send me somewhere safe where I can help myself and help the people around me. They tell their awful past. This is their story. It's part of their history. This is what's worth it to write. Poetry is a weapon against myself. It's something that helps me to express my feelings in a way that I couldn't do it face to face. Remy, screaming on a silent night. Welcome to Refugee Radio on 3CR, listening on 855 AM on 3CR.org.au. We started the show with a song by Hani Abdel and Yara Bunguri, which is about being a refugee, being locked in detention, and a lot more than that. So we're going to be listening now to an interview that was produced by the Do In Time show, which you can hear every Monday on 3CR between 4 to 5 p.m. This is an update around the Tamil family with Priya, Naz, Kritika and Hanika. Have a listen. Uh, hello, Simone, welcome to the program. I'm so sorry for the wait. No, I'm very sorry. It's Thank lovely you. to have you. Now, Simone, um, you've got a very important role to play today on our show because... We were, you and I were speaking off air um, about the family from, what's the town of Vimavia? H- how do you say it? Simone, are you there? Oh, sorry, I just, your voice just cut out. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's Bimavia, is that how you pronounce it? The Queensland... Bimavila. Um, <laughs> yeah, Bimavila, yeah. Bimavila, <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Now, I believe the Tamil family has had um, a visa extended there, or only three members of that family. And I was yeah. wondering, because you, you are aware and you know this family quite well, would you just be able to give a little bit of background to listeners about what's been going on? Sure. Well, they've had quite a protracted um, battle to stay in Australia since they were snatched from their home in Bilawila in the early hours um, of the morning. Um, That was the 5th of March in 2018, and the government tried to deport them um, a couple of times, but last-minute legal intervention has prevented that from from happening. So um, I guess there's been a a growing campaign which started with some um, requests from, with, from some friends of the family in Biloela, um before they were taken to the, to the minister to ask him to intervene favourably for them um, because their asylum claims were, were not looking like they were going to be successful. 
Um, yeah, so here we are three and a half years later. Uh, the family were had been taken to Christmas Island back in 2019 after the most recent deportation attempt, and they've been there ever since. So they came over to, um, to Perth in June this year because Sanika, the youngest girl, was unwell and needed some um, tertiary hospital care. Then the rest of the family were brought over. Then the minister exercised his power to grant three members of the family, that's Nadez, Kopika and... Um, sorry, Nadez, Priya and Kopika, a bridging visa. But at the same time that he did that, he brought down the bar again so that they would, would not be able to apply for any further extensions of their bridging visas after they expired. They were due to expire on the 22nd of September. So it was kind of like giving with one hand and taking with the other, I guess. Um, Tanika, the youngest one, was not issued a bridging visa. She was put into community detention. So that means that she has to stay um, at an address given by the, the minister, and that address is in Perth. So ostensibly that keeps the whole family from being able to go anywhere except Perth because if one member of the family is in community detention, I guess they all are. So the family's legal team, who are just wonderful at looking at all possible avenues, they um, challenged the minister's decision to bring down the bar um, and that was heard in court on the 16th of September. And in that hearing, the judge said that um, she wouldn't be able to make her decision quickly, that she needed time to consider the argument, and so that she sort of put it on the minister to um, come up with some sort of solution about the expiring bridging visas. So... The minister ended up giving this undertaking that he would extend the bridging visas um, to give the judge time to consider all the arguments. And it's quite ironic, really, because we were going to court to challenge his decision not to allow the family to apply for more bridging visas, but in order to let the court process play out, he's actually granted further bridging visas. And then when it came to the time when the family went to their appointment where the bridging visas were going to be granted, they didn't get a further three months. They were given 12 months, which was quite unexpected and, you know, very welcome. But unfortunately, even though that's wonderful, Tanika still remains in community detention. So while the family can enjoy, you know, um, certainty of tenure in Australia for the next 12 months, they're still stuck in Perth. Sorry, it's such a long story. <laughs> It is. No, but it's, it's great that you've, you've explained it, Simone. Um, I mean, Australian law, doesn't Australian law give the Minister Hawke the power to bring this to an end with the stroke of a pen just by yeah. issuing the same visa to the four-year-old child yeah. that he had granted yes, to her absolutely. mum and dad and sister? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, migration law is a particularly complex area of law, as I understand, but... This section that he used to grant the three bridging visas is, is called Section 195A of the Migration Act. And basically, if he deems that it's in the public interest, and I, as I understand, courts have said that it's for the minister to, to decide. Nobody else can tell him what the public interest is. So if he deems it to be in the public interest, he can grant these visas to people. So how ridiculous and bizarre is it 
that he would think it's in the public interest to grant free bridging visas to a member of the family, but that the fourth member that it wasn't in the public interest for them to be granted a bridging visa. And, and he actually, um, the day that, uh, which was last Wednesday, the 23rd, um, sorry, Thursday the 23rd, he actually, um, on that same day that he granted this 12-month extension, he also notified the family legal team that he had considered Tanaka's uh, request for a bridging visa and that he was declining to exercise his powers there. So it's not just that he hasn't gotten round to looking at the application for Tanaka yet. It's, it's that, you know, it seems like a really calculated, cruel decision to say, yes, the three of you are going to get one, Tanaka not, so all of you are stuck in Perth, when all they want to do is just get back to Bilawila. And it's what we've been asking for for three and a half years now. Bilawila, that's how, that's good. That's <laughs> a mental block with this all day. <laughs> so Bilawila is where you all live, right? You live there too? Well, I'm not living there now, but I, but I you grew were? up there. Yes, yes. And, and you, you knew the family, you interacted with the family, they were hard workers and they were an asset to the community. Yeah, I, um, so Nadeza arrived first and so I met him um, not long after he arrived because I was a migrant English teacher, um, I had been running a, um, an English program at the Meatworks that's owned by Keynes in Bilawila and they've always struggled to get, um, to get workers so they had a very high migrant workforce. After I finished running that English program, I then um, we were able to get some some government funding to run some um, English classes for people who were on bridging visas, people seeking asylum, like the Des. And the Meatworks entered into an arrangement with the um, with refugee settlement organisations to actually give um, people seeking asylum jobs at the Meatworks if they wanted to. So they would sort of bus them out from places like Brisbane and. Um, and I was able to, with this funding, then offer them some English classes. So Nadez came along to those English classes when he could. He was very busy because he um, he was working at the meatworks. He was pushing trolleys at Woolworths at night time. And he was just working every hour that God sent, as they say. Um, yeah, so such a hard worker. He had, at times, he was going through his own deep stuff with his own uh, protection claims. And there were times when he was unable to work because of the conditions of his bridging visa and you know at, at those times like he was still able to go and volunteer so he used to volunteer at the local St Vincent's um, charity shop in Bilawila so yeah they're absolutely salt of the earth people there's no doubt about that. And and to, to have them taken you know they were going to be de take, deported and also then that mm. was stopped and they'll end up languishing at Christmas Island then the little girl got sick yeah. got sick, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Pneumonia. Yeah. And they, they went to the hospital there in Western Australia. And then you, you've got... It's very cruel and unusual punishment, isn't it? I wonder whether the, the federal government is wanting to send a message out to people going on boats to Australia. Asylum seekers going on boats. It, it really yeah. is most appalling. Yeah, I think, I mean, they say that they want to send a message to people um, to people who might be considering coming to Australia by sea or, or to oh. people smugglers. But I, I mean, I don't imagine that those people are really hearing about this family. I, I think more that it's a bit of a dog whistle to certain 
voters in Australia who who want this stuff, who have bought into this very cruel rhetoric, you know, and who think that perhaps we've only got two very stark choices here. And um, But I do think that over time the public pressure, because there's been an enormous amount of support that has built for the family in the last three and a half years, and we, we run um, social media accounts on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, um, to you know, put out information and to advocate for the family, and we're always getting some really interesting messages from people all around Australia, all around the world, actually, who are um, you know quite taken by the story of Mrs. Priya and Kopiger and Tanaka. And I think that those people um, continuing to advocate for them, that you know, it has sort of wedged the government a little bit. And um, you know, I do think that perhaps this decision to extend the Brisbane season to Twelve months is is a bit of a sign that they're really feeling the pressure. We've had billboards up with pictures of the family. We've had full page ads in lots of very big newspapers in the last week, and um, I do wonder if that's had something to do with it. Um, but we've still got a bit of a way to go yet, it seems. Absolutely, we've got a long way to go, and I, I do have serious concerns about about the family in in Western Australia. Do they have? the support they need there? They've got, yeah, they've started to make some friends with some lovely um, lovely people that they've been able to make contact with and um, that's wonderful. They're enjoying the freedom of not being followed by guards by popping to the shops when they want to go, um, all that sort of stuff that was um, denied to them the last few years. But I think it's just that sense of, you know, that's not really their home and, and Billy Wheeler is home and that's where um, all the people who, who know and love them and who have been fighting for their return are. And unfortunately, with all of the COVID border closures, you know, we can't get over to see them. Angela and her children were able to get over back in June, um, but there's myself and, and another woman, Bronwyn, who's their, um, their social worker. and. We're dying to get over there to visit them, but we can't. We have to do hotel quarantine at the moment coming from Queensland. So, um, yeah, so we will keep looking until um, until hopefully we can get that fourth Brisbane visa issued and then the whole family would be free to come straight back to Biliwila. I hope that does happen. I mean, from, from what you have seen, Simone, will there still be more um, legal challenges? Yes, there are. So this Brisbane visa challenge, which was first heard on the 16th of September, it wasn't able to be concluded by the end of the day. So it's set down for the 4th of October and they will wrap it up then that day with their concluding arguments and whatnot. And then the judge will make a decision at some stage afterwards. Um, also, a matter which will come before the Administrative Appeals Tribunal, or the AAT, will be a citizenship matter. Now, before the family were taken from Biloela, the government had the girls' two Australian birth certificates on file, and they used those birth certificates to actually, without Priya and Majez's consent, by the way, they used those birth certificates to go and register the girls' birth in Sri Lanka. So once they were able to do that, that was able, they, they did that to facilitate the family's removal from Australia that they tried all they to do in March 2018. So once the family's legal team got wind of this, um, 
we put in a privacy um, complaint to the privacy commissioner, so that's one separate thing that was going through. But they also realised that the registration of the girl's birth in Sri Lanka was not necessarily lawful, particularly for Kopitar, the eldest one, because um, because of the age that she was at when, when the births were registered. So if the girls are not entitled to Sri Lankan citizenship, it means that they're stateless um, because they're not... Australia doesn't have birthright um, citizenship anymore. So if they're stateless, under Australia's Citizenship Act, it's possible that the girls would be entitled to Australian citizenship on that ground. So they've put in an application for Australian citizenship for the two girls and the department has rejected that so far and now the matter will go before the AUT and, um, yeah, we're waiting for a hearing date for that, but I think... Um, I think there might be one before the end of the year, but that's not so clear yet. So, so, yeah. so they registered the, the certificates in Sri Lanka? Yes. And, yes. and so that Without would mean that they would be stateless then? Pardon? That they would be stateless then? Well, if she... I mean, they, they do have the registration, so the registration yes. was, was, was given by the Sri Lankan authorities. Oh. But, there, but there are some pretty compelling legal arguments as to why that registration was actually invalid and should have been accepted in Sri Lanka. So Absolutely. It, yeah, so it will be something that will be very interesting to watch. And, of course, if we were successful on this going, then, um, you know, it, it would look like it would give the family some pretty... Well, the girls, at least, some pretty secure footing in Australia. But we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> let's hope so. And let's hope that the that the parents also remain as well and that everybody, the fact that they all go home. Yeah, yeah, and not, you know, there's no need. I think one thing that we've all learned is that the, the legal team have been absolutely outstanding in, um, you know, doing every single legal avenue that um, is possible or is before them. But so far, the courts have been fairly limited in what they can look at. You know, they can't look at the merits of the family's refugee claims. Only the, only the department and the, and the tribunals can do that. And um, I just feel like the courts haven't really given the solution that the family need, and that reminds us that the minister's always had the power and that there's no need for the minister and for us. We have to fundraise all the money for the family. That's how we pay their legal bills. There's no need for this to be fought out in the courts anymore. If he just granted that bridging visa, you know, it would all yes. go away. A gross violation of human rights indeed. Oh, it really is. Uh, yeah, it's a gross violation of lots of things. <laughs> Simone, thank you so much for coming on the program and, and you've, you've given a very concise, thorough explanation um, of, of the, the family's um, plight and let's, let's watch this space. Health for Profits is a campaign to oppose the Liberal Party's reckless drive to reopen, which threatens the health and safety of Australia's poor, working class and Indigenous communities. We demand an immediate return to a zero-COVID elimination strategy before it's too late. Join us for online forums, activism, and campaigns. To find out more, follow Health Before Profits Vic on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram.
Health for For-Profits is a 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Doing Time Show. It's goodbye from Marissa. And we're going to be going out now with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella by the Rumpy Band. Thank you to all our guests today. And tune in every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Doing Time Show. Bye. Stay strong. for listening to Rex G Radio this week on 3SCR. We just heard an interview around the Tamil family, Priya, Nads, Kavika and Tanika from one of our advocates, Simone. We're going to be finishing with a song today by Aja Kawi, who also produces the song Ubuntu Voices on Wednesday nights on 3CR. The song is called Life is a Mystery. Enjoy.
Jordan Aja Cry with Ubuntu Voices. Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. on 3CR. Ubuntu is a Zulu word meaning I am here because you are. Ubuntu celebrates the positive contribution African Australians make to our communities in music, academia, the art, and everything in between. Come with me on a journey. Ubuntu Voices every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. None of us are free. One of us is changed.